Could your farm be the next great source of natural gas energy? There's growing interest in turning waste sources into power that could benefit livestock operation, but what's behind this interest? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. The idea of turning cow manure into energy isn't new. In fact, society has been working with bio-based gas for centuries. But these days, the conversation is changing, and it could be good news for dairy and swine operations across the country. Installing an anaerobic digester to capture methane from manure has long been used to generate electricity on the farm and for the grid. But these days, the attention is turning to renewable natural gas. Todd Taylor, an attorney who follows trends like biogas for his firm of Eisen, based in Minnesota, talked to us about renewable fuels during an event held by the Minnesota Agricultural Utilization Research Institute. What he discussed will be of interest to farmers who have been looking at ways to add income to the farm, and there's growing government assistance. I start my conversation with Todd using one of my favorite questions. So, Todd Taylor, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Uh, you had an interesting conversation today here at this uh, unit uh, with Ari uh, discussing renewable energy. Why should a farmer care about renewable energy? Oh, boy. Well, I think a farmer should care about it because at the heart of whether it's wind, solar, biogas, ethanol, it all comes down to the land. Um, even solar and wind is really an agricultural resource as I look at it. It's value-added ag. They have to put those someplace. And you look at the windmills and the farms and the solar farms and corn ethanol and biodiesel and biogas. It's all utilizing a farm resource, which is land. The other part of it is, is that land is the key to a farmer's success. It has to be fertile. They have to be able to do something with it. So they have to be good stewards to the land. So anything that farmers can do that can help in a reasonable way to improve soil condition, air condition, water conditions is just going to benefit them and their, and all of the people that come after them. That's excellent. So what we're talking about here is at this event is renewable gas, mostly from anaerobic digesters, biogas to renewable natural gas, or maybe not. I mean, there's different levels that you can go with this, but the world has changed with the Inflation Reduction Act. How has it changed and why should I care again? Yeah. So the Inflation Reduction Act, despite its odd name for this, um, for the first time ever, it allows a tax benefit for biogas to renewable natural gas, which is really a fuel versus biogas for electricity, Mm -hmm. um, to have parity with solar and wind. So they're treated the same way now. And that's a huge thing because if you look at all the development of solar and wind in the United States in the last few years, it's been driven in large part by this federal tax incentive. I mean, certainly costs have come down for all the components. But biogas has lagged on that because we haven't had that same availability. Now, with the Inflation Reduction Act, the same tax credits that were usable by solar and wind are now usable by biogas, which is making a renewable natural gas. And that renewable natural gas can be used for transportation fuel and vehicles, right? It's a replacement for natural gas, which would be coming out of wells, right, from the ground, from mining, which goes back to your first question, which is why do farmers care, right? Well, now, instead of having natural gas coming out of 
you know, these wells in Oklahoma and wherever else it is, right, which which can release these greenhouse gases and, and cause problems, now it can be generated from a resource that the farmers already have available to them, their cows, um, their energy crops, if they're going to grow different types of cover crops. And really, it's a, it's a wonderful way of providing an energy source that is directly linked to the farm. What's interesting to me about renewable natural gas is, is like you say, it's pipelineable. It's truly a replacement without having to change a lot of other things in the in the, the way we do trucks, the way we heat our homes and things like that. I assume that's part of the excitement for this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, renewable natural gas is, con- is considered a one-to-one replacement for the natural gas that you otherwise think about. And so that that innovation of being able to have renewable natural gas, being able to go into a pipeline, is enormous. Because like a solar or wind, their electrons are the same as something coming out of a coal power plant. And so they can go into the transmission lines the same way. Well, now biogas to RNG gets you there as well into the natural gas pipelines, and it can be used... In cars and trucks, it can be compressed, it can be liquefied, you can do all sorts of things. You can use it domestically, you can ship it over to Europe, uh, you can do all of this. And again, it all comes back down to this is a resource that is connected to American farmers. And that's exciting. Well, when we think of digesters, and your talk, you talked about it, and somebody talked about it earlier in the talk as well, that this has been around a long time. We've known how to do this for a long time. Dairy is a very common place for biogas, and I think we're going to see a lot more dairies putting in digesters already. There's some, I think, what is it, 2,200 digesters in, the, in, in rural areas in the country, and the capacity is unbelievable for the future. But it's more than dairy. You talked about food waste. I still need the land for the digester, but the concept with food waste is a challenge because food, food waste comes from 100 different places. Dairy manure comes from one place. Yeah, so what you'll find normally with dairy digesters, it'll be – either one large farm or a consortium of farms all together, and they're very easy to truck it all in there as part of their manure waste plan, which they got to deal with anyways, which is one of the beauties of dairy digesters. Food waste is much more difficult because there's not many places that have that much food waste. Even like these big food producers don't necessarily have enough on themselves to justify building a digester because these can be expensive digesters to build uh, you know compared to like a wind or a solar farm they have a much higher capital cost to build and so aggregation of all the food waste from restaurants from food producers from you know our own table right when you're scraping that food off your plate and it's going you know in the garbage or wherever you know all of that if you wanted to collect it all that's a that's a big undertaking but it's a huge component of of the waste that goes into our landfills, and because it's organic, it breaks down. It you know it it digests in the landfill, and it's releasing these greenhouse gases, which are generally uncapped. And so it's exciting to me that you're seeing more and more activity about incentivizing companies and people to collect the food waste. And I know there's a lot of counties in Minnesota and other places, cities, um, universities, mm-hmm. big companies have efforts to collect and, and separate the food waste, more so than just the bins that you might see at some restaurant or some shopping mall, you know, your organics here, your recycling here. These are large-scale activities and efforts to really separate and utilize that food waste. 
in the old days, you'd utilize food waste, you'd probably, it'd probably go to compost. Right. But that was releasing methane the same way that a landfill does. Now, I know a lot of biodigesters, there's a lot of interest in collecting wastewater treatment plant bio, uh, biogas uh, renewable. And I think they're trying to figure out how to tap these landfills. But the easier, even though the CapEx is high, the easier is just to go to a place where they've got manure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Which is why you're seeing this explosion of dairy-based uh, renewable natural gas. For as much as I like the idea of food waste yeah. digesters, and I see the value of it, by far the biggest amount of activity with biogas, especially on farm, is dairies, right? Well, dairies have, as, as carbon is scored now, dairies are horrible emitters of carbon and greenhouses. And so when you do something to fix that with a biogas digester in place, your carbon score goes from being really bad to being really good, a negative number as a general rule. And so the swing that you can get from putting a digester into a farm to a dairy is huge. And so that, that's, that big swing is really heavily incentivized on the federal and many state levels as well. Well, I even think some major cooperatives that buy dairy milk are looking at, for butter and cheese, are looking at maybe working with dairymen to and dairy producers to do the very same thing, right? Being in the digester, get them to a net zero so they can go out and say, here's our fancy cheese, and it's made with net zero milk. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right? You'll see labeling. It won't be too long before you see labeling on on all sorts of products. And this is a, a low carbon, a zero carbon, a negative carbon product. Um, and absolutely, there's a lot of co-ops that are looking at doing that. A lot of ag companies are looking at doing it. About 10 years ago, I worked with somebody who was trying to do that with um, with bacon. And they were trying to figure out, well, how do I get a digester on for swine so that I can essentially have lower zero carbon pork products and bacon. It was far ahead of its time. Yeah, I was going to say they're a decade too early. They were a decade <laughs> too early. But that's exactly the idea of it. You know, how much consumers will care about that is still a bit up in the air about it because you still have to be worried about being price competitive. You know, you have to be realistic about how that works. But given all the other incentives that are available to these farmers and the developers to actually develop the biogas, it's just an, it's, it's a win-win for everyone to be able to say this is low carbon or zero carbon or negative carbon product, whether it's uh, milk, dairy, you know, um, ice cream, cheese, whatever it might be. So one of the things some of the older listeners to this might say, well, come on. We had a digester and we've been selling, you know, they, we had a old Cummins engine in there and we were pumping that gas right in, the biogas right into that engine and sending electricity to the grid. That's kind of gone away, hasn't it? It's changed. It's changed. It's changed. Um, with the, the California really changed the market when California created this low carbon fuel standard. Okay. And now that carbon, now that California has that, and other states has it. Minnesota will start having it. California put in these huge incentives for low-carbon fuel. And dairy digesters, the gas from dairy digesters, was the lowest carbon fuel you could get. So all of a sudden, everyone's like, I don't want to do electricity. I want to scale up all these digesters, right? I'm going to make them big, and I'm going to connect to a pipeline that 
theoretically connection to California and quote unquote sell my RNG into the California market and get all these credits. So what I think you'll start seeing, and I talked a little bit in my, my presentation, mm -hmm. is we may start seeing a return to electricity generation of biogas because there's more and more pressure on the federal level to create electrification of our transportation fleet, right? I mean, a Prius, a Volt, right. a Tesla, whatever it might be. Put aside any of the other policies that go with that or not, um, you know, developers that are trying to build these projects are going to chase, well, where can I make the most money off of and how do I sell it? So they're going to start looking at, should I go? RNG or should I go electrification? But no matter what, the days of like a single farm digester cranking out electricity, you know, to a local little interconnection point or maybe even doing compression to run their, their trucks around like that, if it's worth doing, it'll be worth doing big. And I know that's always been a challenge in the farming community mm -hmm. is this, you know, keeping farms and family farms and the right size and the, the flavor for the communities, it'll be an interesting challenge as we see this. The other side of that, though, that electricity, because one of the things about solar and, and wind is it's not constant. And an electric source that's constant from biogas is a better selling proposition for all those freaking charging stations we're going to put in. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You go to Excel, and if you have honest conversations with Excel or any of the other power companies yeah. out there, this generation of an intermittent resource like wind and solar is really tough, which is why you're seeing them look at batteries. Well, batteries are incredibly inefficient and expensive as a storage for it. Biogas is a 24-7 resource. It has like 85% uptime compared or more, right, compared to wind and solar down in the 20s like that, right? That constant power is a huge selling point. And again, this is another reason I think that you'll see a lot of biogas developers look at electrical electrical generation um, as a benefit. The problem always is is trying to figure out your capital cost compared to wind and solar. So the price that you can sell it to the grid might be different. But again, these federal incentives are starting to really change the game. So there's an old saying about manure. That's the smell of money. It's a bigger deal now than ever before, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's, it's big and it'll be even bigger soon. Well, Todd, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for joining me here. Yeah, thank you very much. There are about 2,200 anaerobic digesters at work in the United States today, according to the American Biogas Council. But the livestock industry could support up to seven times that many. That could create not only a new income stream for the farm, but put that natural methane to work rather than blaming it as a climate change challenge. Thanks to Todd Taylor for his insights on this potential new opportunity, the added support from the Inflation Reduction Act, and more. He advises that if you're interested in more information, to check out the American Biogas Council website at AmericanBiogasCouncil.org. This was an interesting conversation, and if you don't want to miss what we're talking about here at Around Farm Progress, simply subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And if you have a smart speaker, all you have to do is tell it to listen to Around Farm Progress, and you're going to hear the latest episode. 
Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs and our events including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, the Farm Futures Summit, and the New York Farm Show. And the Farm Futures Summit is coming soon. This event starts out with the Farm Futures Ag Finance Bootcamp on January 18, 2023. Then the summit gets rolling on Thursday, January 19th, with a full slate of big speakers. Just added to the program is a conversation between Howard Buffett and Max Armstrong, who will be on hand to discuss work being done for farmers in Ukraine. But you'll also hear from David Cole, Jolene Brown, and other top speakers dealing with farm business, succession, management, and marketing issues. It's an information-packed program, and you can learn more at farmfuturesummit.com, including getting your hotel room. We're back in the Iowa City, Iowa area, so an easy drive for a lot of Midwest growers. So make plans to attend. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.